and welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have permission from the Worcester News and are recording on Tuesday, February the 2nd. I'm Elizabeth Hill and today it's a team of two, once again, John Plush, and we're recording from home. Uh, clerical work will be done by Carol Hartle and her team, for which we thank them. Music is by Sheila Joins and Thought for the Week by Keir Aldis. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain. And particularly, we have Patricia Williams, Audrey Jones and Georgina Alford. And uh, Carol has kindly ensured that you have boom boxes in, on which to listen to us. Uh, today, we'll have some emergency telephone numbers. The thought for the week, uh, we'll open the birthday book and we'll have headlines from the past week, sunrise and sunset times and obituaries will be read after the final music. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA, or, of course, added into your wallet. And we do thank anyone who has sent a donation we really are grateful. Now, um, some announcements. Um, I would like to thank Brian for his letter. And I apologise if you are having some difficulty hearing us. But we um, are recording, you're right, on the phone from home. So I'm afraid booths aren't a, a practicality at the moment. We are trying to keep the service going, um, which we obviously had to suspend last year. Um, so uh, if, if things are a little bit wobbly, uh, I do apologise, but we, we are doing our best to, to keep it running. Uh, so we do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many, please, or a compliment, yes, please, or an observation as Brian has discovered, a note or message is great. Um, put a note in your, in your wallet and that's fine. I would just like to remind you, in addition to the weekly newspaper recordings, we record a magazine and have an extensive library of talking books. If you would like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905. Seven six double seven double six. Uh, I do actually have a, uh, a little letter that is also an announcement, really, which may be useful. And it's from Amanda Hawkins, who is the specialist lead for counselling and wellbeing from the RNIB. And she's written to the Worcester News and probably other publications, too. Um, and she writes... 2020 was a difficult year for everyone. Though there is hope on the horizon, starting 2021 in lockdown is not how most people wanted to ring in the new year. 
It's understandable that many of us are feeling down and in need of a little extra emotional support. The situation is especially challenging for the more than 2 million people in the UK living with sight loss. Many have faced anxiety, sadness and even fear about the unique challenges they have experienced, such as problems, social distancing, difficulty with shopping without guidance and isolation from losing tactile contact with friends and family during lockdown. That's why the Royal National Institute of Blind People launched the emergency mental health sessions for local blind and partially sighted people in October. The sessions are completely free and offer people with sight loss the opportunity to speak to a counsellor for an hour over the phone about how they're feeling and any problems which are on their minds. It doesn't have to be about their sight at all. We know that the next few months might be tough for many, so we want to remind you that RNIB is here to help. If you or someone you know could benefit from speaking to someone, please call the helpline on 0303 123 9999. We can set up a chat within 36 hours and the service can be used as many times as needed. No one with sight loss has to suffer on their own. Blind and partially sighted people deserve the same expectation of mental well-being as everyone else. That's why RNIB will always be here, signed Amanda Hawkins. So I think that's a fantastic service. And um, you have the telephone number there. You can rewind your inbox uh, if you need any help. Uh, and that leads me on to the uh, telephone numbers at Worcester Talking News. Our number is Worcester, which is 01905 767766. NHS Direct is 111. Out of Hours Medical Assistance is 0300 123 3211. And that's between 6 and 8 p.m. only. The Worcester Hub, 01905-765-765. Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-111. And Worcestershire County Council, here to help, is 01905-768-055. Option three. And now I am going to open the birthday book. And we have missed Patricia Williams' birthday, our new listener on the, or one of our new listeners, on the 17th of January. So I hope you had a lovely birthday then. And this week is uh, Sonia Duggan on the 9th. And we don't seem to have every, anyone for the next couple of weeks. So uh, hope you have nice birthdays, although it's uh, tricky at the moment. So we're now going to uh, look at the headline stories. For some reason or another, I seem to have mislaid Wednesday's newspaper. It's disappeared. 
so only have five headline stories and five papers. So the first one was Young Couple Feared the Worst in Ordeal, New Schools Set to be Built in the City, Covid Kills Two at Care Home, and a second headline on the front page was Man on Bridge Jumps in River for a Joke. Vaccine plea for disabled children and mass vaccine centre opens. The sunrise as of Tuesday, February the 2nd is 7.46 and the sunset is 4.58. The first headline story. A couple who feared for their lives after catching Covid have warned others not to think the virus can't kill them just because they're young and healthy. Wes Mason, 40, and partner Sam King, 22, tested positive for coronavirus on Christmas Eve, but say they are still affected by COVID to this day. Mr Mason said, I had been in contact with someone who had COVID, and so we got tested as a precaution but weren't expecting to actually have it. We didn't have any symptoms and we felt okay. When the results came back positive, we were surprised. I told my work and they, of course, allowed me to isolate for 10 days. But after the 10 days were up, we didn't feel any better. Despite not having any initial symptoms, around seven days after testing positive, it hit us hard. I suddenly felt about a hundred years old. We found it impossible to get out of bed. The fatigue was so debilitating and demoralising. It has been over a month since we tested positive and we are still very much feeling the effects. It was really awful. You start to lose faith in your body and what you can and can't do. It took so much to fight off this virus. It feels like there is nothing left. All our strength has gone. Mentally, it has been difficult too. I lost a lot of confidence and what felt like my independence. Being trapped in and feeling so awful for such a long time, it's hard to explain just how terrible it is. It's like losing the sense of who you are. It eats away at you. We were scared. The stereotype is that if you're young and healthy, you can brush it off, but that isn't the case. When the 10 days was up and we didn't get better, I did start to worry for our lives. I wondered if we were going to become a statistic. I began having panic attacks. My nervous system is just shot to pieces. I'm now on anti-anxiety medication, which has never been a problem for me. Sam struggles to watch the news as it brings it all back for her. She really struggled with not being able to breathe and seeing people on ventilators really upsets her. The couple say they're still recovering from the virus, but after relying on nearby family members to deliver food parcels when they were isolating, they felt inspired to do the same for people in their community. Miss King said, we were sat on the sofa talking through the whole ordeal and realised the one thing that had made it okay was having family nearby to bring us the things we needed. Without them, I don't know how we would have managed. 
This made us think of all those people who are not as lucky as us, who don't have anyone to support them in this way. And that is what inspired us to start our Priority Parcels of Essentials project. Being as ill as we were has made us really grateful to still be here, and we just want to give back in any way we can. One day a week, we spend an hour delivering packages to those who need them and have been grateful to receive donations from our neighbours also. We really need support to keep this project going. We are still suffering and not able to do as much as we'd like. So we're still looking for people to come on board and help us with collections and donations. This virus has done its best to tear us apart, but we need to come back together. This will only get better if we care for each other and work together wherever we possibly can. Second story. Plans to build a new secondary school in Worcester have been revealed. The new school would be built to cope with the rise in places due to the number of new homes being built in and around the city in the near future. Six locations have been proposed for the new 600-pupil school by Worcestershire County Council, according to a Cabinet report due to be discussed this week, with an estimated cost of around £35 million. But the whereabouts of the new school is currently a secret. The need for a new secondary school in the city has not only been brought on by a need to cope with thousands more homes being built, but also by the poor choices for parents in other parts of the city. The new secondary school would need to help alleviate pressure on Nunnery Wood and Tudor Grange, as well as improved choice for parents and children in Warnden and Claims, the council said. There were fewer than 10 Year 7 places spare across Worcester last autumn, representing a 0.7% surplus and nowhere near the 5% surplus it would like. And according to the council, just 54% of children at Claims CV Primary School received an offer from their first choice secondary school in 2019. The same can be said for Lippard Grange Primary School and Oasis Academy in Warnden, where just 60% and 67% of children received an offer from their first choice secondary school. The figures for those primary schools are much below the 2019 average Forster, which was 85%. The oversubscription criteria favours pupils living closest to the school when oversubscribed from in-catchment or feeder schools. The Cabinet report said, Therefore, schools on the outskirts of Worcester are disproportionately affected by this strain, notably children living within Warnden villages, Warnden, Clanes, and, looking into the future, those families moving on to housing developments on the outskirts of the city. The report also said the plans for the huge developments to the south and southeast of the city, particularly the South Worcester Urban Extension, would see thousands of new homes built, would see children mainly go to Nunnery Wood and Blessed Edward, which would struggle to cope if a new school was not built. 
Based on council forecasts, around 120 places would be needed that are currently unavailable. Secondary schools to the north and west of the city are currently coping with demand, according to the council, and has a 5% surplus in places, but with more houses being built and more people living in and on the edge of the city would put a lot of pressure on places. The council had also looked at expanding Nunnery Wood, but the future demand for places would mean the school needing an extra 600 spaces, pushing the number of pupils at the school past the 2000 mark. The school could support around 1,700 pupils, the council said, but those plans have been disregarded due to the significant refurbishment that would be required and much of the work would have to take place whilst the school was open. Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member for Education, said, Ensuring children across the county have access to good quality education has been a long-term priority for the council for many years now. Over the last five years, Worcestershire County Council has invested in developing facilities at the existing secondary schools in Worcester. The level of additional places required now provides us with an opportunity to consider the delivery of a new secondary school and ensure we are able to continue to meet the needs of residents as significant growth and investment is made throughout the city. The location of the site of any new school will consider a number of factors including alleviating pressure from the oversubscribed schools and improve the ability to meet parental preference for pupils in making their choice of secondary schools. Two residents at a care home in Worcester have died following an outbreak of coronavirus, while new figures show 12 deaths in city care homes due to COVID in the past fortnight. So far, 16 residents and 16 staff members at Bedwardine House in Upperwick Lane, where two people have died, have tested positive for the virus. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director of Public Health for Worcestershire, said, Sadly, two residents at Bedwardine House Care Home in Worcester have died following an outbreak of COVID-19. Our thoughts and condolences are with the families of those who have passed away. Unfortunately, it is a real reminder to us all that COVID-19 remains in our communities. Since the start of the outbreak, 16 residents and the same number of staff have tested positive. Outbreak management procedures are being followed. Cases and any contacts are isolating and visiting currently restricted to essential visits only. Multi-agency support has been provided to the care home since the first positive cases were identified. Staff at the home are working hard to ensure residents are receiving the highest standards of care. They continue to prioritise the health and safety of all the residents and staff. Care homes remain a key priority for our outbreak control plan in the county. They are a high-risk setting with vulnerable people and we know COVID-19 is highly infectious in such closed settings. 
Bernard Mew, business manager for Bedwardine House Care Home, said, As with many care homes, we have had an outbreak of COVID-19. We had a full year of negative tests for our staff and residents, but have unfortunately suffered an outbreak now, which has affected some of the staff and residents. Following the outbreak, Worcestershire County Councillor Alan Amos of Bedwardine Division said, The vaccination programme needs to be rolled out as quickly as possible, and of course everybody else needs to stick to regulations to try to limit the spread of the coronavirus. We have got to work harder because the new strain is worse than the previous one. All the things we have done in the past, we have got to continue to do, and the real message is we can't ever let up on this. This comes after it was revealed a dozen further coronavirus-related deaths have occurred in care homes in Worcester over the past fortnight, figures reveal. Care leaders say the latest figures demonstrate the awful toll of the pandemic on care homes nationally. The Office for National Statistics data shows 133 deaths involving COVID-19 were provisionally registered in Worcester up to January the 23rd. Of those, 61 occurred outside hospital, including 49 in care homes, up from the 35 registered two weeks earlier. There were seven deaths at private homes and a further five deaths in hospices, other community establishments or elsewhere. The figures include deaths that occurred up to January the 15th, but were registered up to eight days later. Across England and Wales, 1,271 deaths occurred in care homes in the seven days to January 15th, more than double the 560 reported two weeks earlier. A mad swimmer jumped into the flooded river from Worcester Bridge in just his boxer shorts in what appeared to be a bit of a joke. Police, fire crews and ambulances rushed to the scene at Worcester Bridge as a rescue mission was launched at lunchtime on Thursday the 28th. Officers released a photo of the man in the hope they can check on his welfare after he plunged into the fast-flowing flooded waters of the River Severn while a friend filmed his antics. West Mercia police officers parked near the car park to Worcestershire County Cricket Club as boats circled on the river looking for the swimmer. However, he is understood to have scrambled out of the river at Diglas and ambulances, which rushed, rushed to the scene on blue lights, were stood down. A witness, Leslie Moore of Poick, described the jumper's friend filming the incident on his phone. I said to his mate, is he mad? His friend just laughed, and at that point he jumped in, she said. Mrs Moore had been out taking her exercise when the drama unfolded. I thought they were having a prank, having a laugh. It was a bit of a joke. He was naked apart from his boxers and he had bare feet. I just saw the big splash. I think he just jumped in feet first. She said the man swam in the direction of Worcester Cathedral. However, she said he was swimming strongly and didn't look like he was in trouble. Several police cars, ambulances and fire crews attended the scene and boats could also be seen on the water. 
Mrs Moore estimated the man was in his late 30s, as was the man filming the incident. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, We received reports at just before 1.15pm that a man had entered the River Severn at Worcester Bridge. It is believed he swam up the river towards Diglis, where it is understood he got out of the water and walked along Severn Street. Inspector Andrew Holliday said, We would ask the man to get in touch with us, so we are able to check his, on his welfare. A spokesman for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We sent one ambulance, two paramedic officers and our hazardous area response team to the scene. Following a search of the water, it became apparent the patient seen entering the water was now out and we were stood down. More on that story later. A plea for vulnerable children and their carers to get the COVID vaccine has been made by the mum of a disabled girl and the founder of a charity. Claire Strong, mum and carer to Ruby Rose Schwab, said they had been shielding her throughout the pandemic, but the uncertainty over the vaccine was frustrating. Ruby Rose was born with a cyst that essentially leaves her with half a brain and is sadly inoperable. This has left the three-year-old severely disabled. Miss Strong from Pershaw said, We have heard nothing at all from anyone, not even when we will be getting the vaccine. Carers and parents, the ones who are caring for family members, seem to have been completely forgotten about. We chose to shield Ruby as with her disability, we didn't know how she would cope and what the impact would be if she had COVID. It would be a weight off our shoulders if me and Marcus, Miss Strong's partner, had the vaccine. But we've heard nothing so far. My sister, who is 38 and who has cerebral palsy, hasn't even heard when she will be getting the vaccine. Contact, a charity which supports families with disabled and vulnerable children, has called on the government and the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the group that decided on allocation of the vaccine, to provide more information. At the end of December, the JCVI did update its guidance to recommend that unpaid carers should be added to the vaccine priority list. This meant the main carers of a disabled person are now included in Priority Group 6, which is the group alongside people with underlying health conditions. The two jabs currently being rolled out in the UK are not licensed for use in children. Dr Jennifer Kelly, who founded the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust in memory of daughter Grace from Kroll, who died aged four just weeks after being diagnosed with cancer in 2014. Dr Kelly has since tirelessly supported families of children with cancer, including through the pandemic, and said many she spoke to regularly were having to go through strict shielding to protect their children, as they effectively have little or no immunity. Dr Kelly said, our vulnerable families have been shielding much more than the rest of the population. 
They cannot see the way out at the moment. Statistics for vulnerable children, such as those with cancer, show so far that it doesn't appear to affect them when they got it any more than the average person. However, if you have a vulnerable child, you're going to do everything you can to protect them. There doesn't appear to be much clarity from the government what will happen with children as a whole, particularly the vulnerable ones. The vaccine has not been licensed for children, but what is the way ahead for vulnerable children? At the moment, too, parents and carers of vulnerable children have not been prioritised in a high group, and that is the same for carers of vulnerable adults. If you can't get children vaccinated, it would be good if the government could give more clarity. Worcester News reader Joe Lyons added, My son has a high-level disability and low immunity, but we're not in a hurry to demand he gets the vaccine first as we're simply staying home and protecting him from any chance of getting it. I'd say it's more of a priority for key workers to have it, as they don't have the choice to stay at home. Responding to contact, the Department of Health and Social Care said it did not respond to specific questions about the vaccination options for families of younger, clinically vulnerable patients. The spokesman said that very few children and young people were at risk of severe illness due to COVID. Worcester's first mass coronavirus vaccination centre is now open, giving its first jabs to people on Monday the 1st of February. St Peter's Baptist Church in Eden Close got up and running on Monday after being earmarked as a potential site for vaccinations last November. Frontline health and social care workers, as well as the most vulnerable patient groups, are being vaccinated this week. David McDowell, who's operations manager for the site at St Peter's Baptist Church, said, This vaccination centre will further increase our local capacity to deliver COVID-19 vaccines, building upon the brilliant work of our GP-led teams and those at the newly opened Artrix in Bromsgrove. These have been instrumental in helping us to introduce the vaccine in Herefordshire and Worcestershire so far, and we look forward to doing our part in driving this programme forward. We will be inviting patients based on the priority list, targeting the most vulnerable patients first. So we're asking patients not to attend the centre if they haven't booked an appointment. GP-led teams will also be continuing to invite patients to attend local vaccination sites. So those patients who are unable to get to St Peter's can wait to be called forward by their GP. The GP on site when we visited the centre was Dr Stuart Wilkie from Chadsley Corbett Surgery. Despite retiring in December, Dr Wilkie is volunteering his time to support the coronavirus effort. He said, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. We are still in the tunnel now, but we can see the light. The patients we have seen today are just absolutely thrilled to be vaccinated. It is fantastic. We are really excited about the excellent work that is being done here. 
This is a historical moment for us all, and I'm just happy to be part of it. Worcester News reporter Gemma Bufton visited the vaccination centre in St Peter's to see how it is run. Patients are asked to queue outside the centre in two lines, one for key workers and one for the elderly and vulnerable. They are then checked in and have their temperature taken before being moved into the vaccination centre through a one-way system. The church hall has been divided into 16 pods for patients to sit and receive the injection. The team works swiftly but compassionately, taking the time to discuss the procedure with the patient and ensure they are happy and well. The patient is then given a vaccination card with details of the vaccine they received and escorted out of the back of the church. The whole process from start to finish takes about five minutes. Husband and wife Rachel and Glyn Jones were getting their vaccine together at the centre. They said they were very relieved to be vaccinated. 1,500 coronavirus patients who had COVID have now been discharged from the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust. A video of the Trust's Facebook page shows NHS staff clapping COVID patients as they're reunited with family. Alongside the video, the post said, we've now discharged 1,500 coronavirus patients back home. That's 1,500 families reunited, thousands of hours of care needed, and thousands of our staff all working to put patients first. Stay at home, protect the NHS, help us save more lives. So that concludes the headline stories for the last week. And now I'm going to crack on with uh, the uh, stories from the last week. And we'll also have um, a memory lane slot and a sports slot too. The swimmer who jumped into the flooded Worcester River has handed himself in as the true scale of the rescue operation becomes clear. As the swimmer handed himself in to police, more details have emerged about the manpower needed for the search, which tied up police, ambulance crews and firefighters for nearly two hours. Around 20 firefighters, that's four crews, were dispatched to the scene and remained there for close to two hours as boats swept the river searching for him. In total, the four crews responded, two from Worcester, one from Evesham and one from Pershaw. It included the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Services water first responders, plus the service drone from Ledbury, after the call came in at 1.17pm. The incident was not closed until seven minutes past three. It is believed the swimmer's friend filmed his foolhardy escapade. Police said, further to this appeal, the man in question has called in to identify himself and confirm he is thankfully safe and well. He will also now be interviewed by officers for the, in the coming days. Police parked near Worcestershire County Cricket Club patrolled the bank while the West Midlands Ambulance Service called around 1.20pm sent one ambulance with two paramedic officers. 
A spokesman said, following a search of the water, it became apparent the patient was seen entering the water and was now out, so we were stood down. Readers were divided over the swimmer's antics. Janet Rose wrote on the Worcester News Facebook page, Playing with his life, the undercurrent is deadly, let alone exposing himself to diseases which floodwaters bring. Amy Evis Canaway wrote, Insane, while Amanda Poole Willis commented saying, What a prat. But some sympathised with him. Sabir Afsal wrote, Well, Jim answering pools shut. What is the poor man doing just swimming in an open place? Let him do it. The manager of a successful travel company in Worcester is hoping for a boom in business once enough of the UK has been vaccinated. Jennifer Lynch, general manager of Arrange My Escape in the city, said despite the difficulties brought by travel restrictions during the pandemic, she is optimistic about the future. She said, I think people feel more confident with the vaccine coming out now. Bookings have been boosted and confidence is boosted, but it's not quite there for the summer. I think once the majority of the UK is vaccinated, things will start to change. And when that happens, we are expecting a boom. Even though the pandemic has been tough, I think when we come out of it the other side, I think we'll be better off. Jennifer said the pandemic had been a struggle for her industry, but she still believes the company will be able to expand in the future. She said, for any travel agents or anyone working in this in industry, it's not been the easiest time. It's been an uphill struggle dealing with cancellations, amendments and refunds. We probably won't see income for a little bit longer, but our costs and outgoings are quite low and we're very lucky our customers have stayed loyal. We've even gained new customers because of the service that we've shown throughout the pandemic. We've worked completely through it and have always been contactable. Obviously, we have had to close our doors, but we're still trading by phones, so we can answer and take payments by phone, email and Zoom. I think the trend has moved from the summer now, and we're seeing more people booking from the end of the year in October and November through to 2022. Most of the booking I've been doing this month are for next year now. We're definitely seeing an improvement for 2022 and the demand is there. When I talk to customers on the phone, they're desperate to go. A lot more people are amending bookings rather than taking refunds or cancelling them because they're desperate to go on holidays. Arrange My Escape in Melchipen Street was founded in 2018 and had enjoyed a very successful first couple of years in business. Last year, the company was named among the top 50 travel agents in the UK. Some good news here. One of Worcester's main routes over the River Severn finally reopened after months of work. Sabrina Bridge officially reopened at midday on January the 29th. Following the completion of the works, 
the temporary traffic lights in Hilton Road are expected to remain in place for another two weeks. Work on replacing the bridge began back in October and saw the main span of the bridge removed and replaced with a new composite deck designed to work better in the winter months. Originally built in 1992 by Worcester City Council, the refurb is the first time the bridge has been changed, though regular maintenance work has been carried out over the decades since. The bridge was set to reopen from the end of 2020, but repeated bursts of bad weather and high river levels meant this had to be delayed twice. The refurbishment is a key part of a major infrastructure programme that could also see a new pedestrian and cycle bridge, Keypax, across the River Severn in Worcester. Both bridges aim to enhance links across the river so users could complete a figure of eight circuit using the proposed Keypax walking and cycling bridge, newly refurbished Sabrina Bridge and Douglas Bridge. A business is helping children in the county by refurbishing laptops for remote learning during the pandemic. During the third lockdown, schools are shut to most pupils in a bid to tackle COVID-19. But some families do not have the technology for their kids to learn from home, and those children could miss out on their education. Worcester-based company Bits and PCs based in Astwood Road, decided to help out by giving their time and resources for free to turn around old laptops donated by the community so they are ready for children to use. The director of the company said, this time of year is quiet for us anyway, so I thought we can help children in need at the moment. We didn't expect it to go so well, but we are still after donations of laptops from the public. So far, staff have refurbished around 60 much-needed laptops. Employees Nick Thurgood, aged 22, said, Without sounding soppy, children are the future, and we wanted to show our support, giving children all the tools needed for education. As people buy new laptops, they often store old machines away, but for word processing and surfing the internet, the very latest machines are not needed. The Salvation Army has distributed the computers to children identified as most at need in Droitwich, with children in Worcester being next in line. Anyone wanting to donate computer equipment can call Bits and PCs on 01905 813 516. Now, the weekend before last, we had a bit of a storm. So, a cleanup operation has been begun, begun after the recent flooding. With flood water receding, Worcester City Council's teams have gone into action to start the big task of washing down the riverside paths that have been flooded. Council staff are, are using full PPE while they carry out the work. And they were in action at Grandstand Road at the rear of the cafe, Hilton Road Lower Foot Bath near to the old pumping station, Waterworks Road at the top end of Pitchcroft, 
and Bromwich Parade from Worcester Bridge to Weir Lane. The full clear-up was expected to take several days following the floods after Storm Christoph brought torrential rain. The COVID-19 test site at the University of Worcester is also now reopened for students, frontline and public sector workers after it had to close due to the floods. Changes to a controversial plan to build new homes on a large unkempt garden were narrowly backed despite concerns it would set a dangerous precedent. Lockley Homes put forward plans to demolish a large two-storey detached home known as Mayfield in Malvern Road, replacing it with a new four-bed home, as well as two homes and three bungalows. Councillor Alan Amos, who was opposed to the plan, had referred the altered application to the Council's planning committee before a decision after raising concerns about building homes in back gardens. Councillor Amos had called for the plan to be refused, but was voted down by the rest of the planning committee at a meeting on Thursday, January the 21st. The application was narrowly approved with Vice-Chair Councillor Pat Agar using her casting vote after councillors were tied by four votes to four. I do find it amazing that there are a lot of people who go on about green issues and yet some or all of them will vote in favour of concerting over a large garden, as Councillor Amos said. He said the plan was completely inappropriate and would set a dangerous precedent. He said he was seriously worried allowing Mayfield to be demolished would need lead to similar developments around the city and accused developers of eyeing up large houses and gardens in Malvern Road like vultures for a number of years. Lockley Homes already has permission to build six two-bed flats and three three-bedroom bungalows on the land after it was controversially approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee a year ago. Councillor Jenny Barnes said she was also concerned by the plans. A year ago we struggled and actually gave permission for nine dwellings, which between them has 15 bedrooms. We are now down to a position where we are being asked to decide on an application that has six dwellings but 19 bedrooms. She said she was comfortable allowing two-bed flats to be built, as the previous plan had said, but was less keen to see big houses built. I'm deeply concerned, she said. Compared to the last application, where we were supporting a scheme to enable people to have homes, this one is actually going the other way, and I don't think I can accept that. New research shows people in Worcester postcodes have the 10th worst access to pharmacies in the UK, with short-sighted government cuts blamed. Data from NHS Digital, which was compiled by online pharmacy Medicine Direct, shows the 61 registered pharmacies in WR postcodes each cater for 4,719 people on average. Salisbury, 5,956 per pharmacy, was the worst, 
with Hereford at 5,510, second worst, with Worcester's provision more than four times worse than the best served, which were EC postcodes in London. It also claims 26 physical pharmacies per month have been lost for the past two years. A statistic that does not surprise Amo Sahol, pharmacist and owner of Kitson's Pharmacy in Broad Street. His pharmacy has served the city since 1749 and his warning for decision makers is, you don't know what you have until it's not there. The number of pharmacies has been fairly static over the years, but in the government's view, that number is excessive, said Mr Sahol. They have actively said there are too many in England and put in place funding cuts, particularly where they felt that pharmacies were clustered. This was prior to COVID and pharmacies have remained open throughout the pandemic, while GP surgeries and most other healthcare places closed their doors. Mr Sahal said, in addition to staying open, staff have gone the extra mile by ensuring customers can have necessities, such as toiletries delivered, even if that means a member of staff taking it on their way home. If you speak to the people who come here, they really value the service pharmacies provide when they cannot get into their GP surgery. We have been inundated with goodwill messages. People are being sent to us to look at rashes and things like that. Imagine how much extra strain that would put on the NHS if that was lost. We are available without an appointment. People can come in with any issues they have to see our highly trained staff. And if we cannot help, we can signpost people to the most appropriate services. A lot of people have been suffering mentally during this pandemic. We have been there to help with anxiety. We provide a multitude of other services like emergency contraception, drug misuse services for the most vulnerable in society. And we provide a safe space for people who suffer domestic violence. The funding cuts are very short-sighted. As the old adage says, you don't know what you have until it's not there. I'm now going to open Memory Lane, which Michael Grundy from the Worcester News uh, wrote for a number of years. And this... Um, is dated 2003 and it's a fairly uh, topical subject um, about the city's swimming pool of the time and of course the new one which replaced this one that I'm going to read about um, is now in the process of being demolished. So this story is entitled Pooling efforts to make a city splash. Watery pleasures and fitness facilities have now been on offer at the same central location in Worcester for 160 years. I refer, of course, to the Sansom Walk site of the city's modern swimming pool, formerly the home of Parks Baths, and earlier the focal point of Worcester's bid to be counted among the nation's leading water cure spas of Victorian times. 
It was then that Charles Bartholomew, a nationally renowned entrepreneur in aquatic health treatments, set up his baths and the hydropathic establishment in Sansom Walk. Patrons came from all over the kingdom to stay in the 20 rooms and suites of Bartholomew's Sansom Walk Hotel and to wallow at its various baths, which included Turkish hot and cold water, swimming, Deutsch brine, sulphur, mercurial, electric, iodine, pine oil fomentations and oxygen inhalation. But the story of the Sunson Walk Spa had begun even earlier. It was way back in the 1840s that Barnabas Lett first opened a private hotel on the site, offering such extra amenities as an outdoor swimming pool, Turkish baths and warm slipper baths. By 1878, however, trade had fallen off, and the hotel and its baths were in the doldrums, but a rapid revival was witnessed as soon as the premises were purchased by Charles Bartholomew, who brought his name and fame to Worcester. He was a national authority on Turkish baths and other nature cure treatments, and already operated popular and pioneering baths in Birmingham, Bristol, Manchester, London and Bath. Charles Bartholomew considerably raised the status of the Worcester establishment and when he died in 1893, one of his employees, William Park, bought the site from the trustees of his boss to start the Park family's 70-year-old bond with the Sansom Walk Baths. William, a Yorkshireman, had the amenity renamed as Parks Hydro and Baths, and thanks to an 1897 guide to Worcester's businesses, we have a description of what it offered its patrons. Quote, Under Mr Parks or Species, the whole establishment has been altered and improved, and it is now one of the most complete concerns in the kingdom. The baths and hydropathic facilities are situated in one of the best parts of Worcester and consist of 20 rooms used by patients as boarders or let in suites of apartments to persons taking the baths or to visitors and tourists. Some of the rooms have brilliantly coloured glass panels to help create a Mediterranean aura. End of quote. William Park successfully ran the baths for nearly half a century and was joined in the business by his son Leonard in 1919. The place was affectionately known for generations of Worcester people as Parks's Baths, or I would add Parks's Puddle, which is where I learnt to swim. The Sunson Walk Enterprise was acquired in 1946 by Worcester City Council but Leonard Park stayed on as chief superintendent until 1959. Eventually, in 1972, the old buildings on the site were cleared to make way for Worcester's big new swimming baths, though the old Parks' pool was retained as a sunken forecourt garden. Like thousands of other Worcester school children, I had my first swimming class baptism at Parks', writes Mike Grundy. 
I was taken along with classmates from Stanley Road School at the age of about eight and told to get in the pool and let go of the side. I immediately sank frighteningly below the water and came up coughing and spluttering. It was an experience that put me off swimming pools and alas, I've gone through life never having learned to swim. Well, I can remember being in that pool with my water wings and my parents on the side and it was unheated and it was extremely cold. <laughs> Other news. A former security guard at Worcester Warriors struck a cyclist in his van and left him lying injured at the side of the road. Thomas Dickinson had not realised he had hit cyclist when he drove off after the crash in Pershaw Lane in Lip near Worcester. The 31-year-old admitted failing to stop and careless driving at Worcester Magistrates Court. He was behind the wheel of a Peugeot partner van when he hit the cyclist, aged in his 20s, at 10.20pm on May 26th last year. The cyclist was later found dazed and confused at the roadside and had to be taken to hospital with soft tissue injuries. His bike was also damaged, the saddle detached and rear wheel folded in half. David Whitaker, prosecuting, said the van suffered a broken windscreen and nearside damage on impact, telling magistrates Dickinson did not check to see what he hit. Officers on mobile patrol in Droitwich saw Dickinson's van with its hazard lights on. When he was stopped, he told them he had hit a road sign. The van's dash cam, cam had, however, captured the incident. The defendant had stopped the van, believing he had struck a sign. Before continuing his journey, Mr Whitaker said, he was asked if he did not think to go back and see what he had struck. He said no. Sundeep Source, uh, defending, said his client accepted he should have gone back, even if it had been a road sign he had struck. He didn't see the cyclist. He was clearly on autopilot, said the solicitor. Dickinson had worked a 12-hour shift and a, an 8-hour shift with five hours of sleep in between, the court was told. The solicitor stressed his client's early guilty plea and cooperation with police. He said an engine malfunction light had come on which may have distracted Dickinson of Timber Tree Crescent, Cradley Heath. Magistrates banned him from driving for 12 months, fined him £53 for failing to stop and £80 for careless driving. Dickinson was also ordered to pay £110. Several roads in Worcester will be partially closed over the coming weeks as work is carried out. On Valentine's Day, plans are in place to close College Street from its junction with the City Walls Road northbound to its junction with Deansway for a day to allow tree maintenance work to be carried out. Amy Highways crews are expected to be at work for a day on Sunday the 14th. Diversions will be in place. Sidbury northbound traffic will have to follow City Walls Road St Nicholas Street, the Forget, 
Castle Street, Croft Road, Dolday, All Saints Road and Deansway. The city walls southbound diversion will see traffic using the Sidbury Road southbound, London Road southbound and northbound, Sidbury northbound, City Walls Road, St Nicholas Street, The Fulgate, Castle Street, Croft Road, Dolday, All Saints Road and Deansway. Later in the month, Pierpoint Street will be shut for approximately three days, starting from Monday, February the 22nd, while footpath resurfacing work is carried out by Worcestershire County Council. Traffic will have to take an alternative route along Forgut Street, The Tithing, St Oswald's Road, Sansom Walk, Sansom Place, Sansom Street, St Nicholas Street, The Forgut, and Forgut Street, and vice versa. Further out of the city centre, footpath work by the County Council in White Ladies Walk will see traffic diverted for up to 11 days, and that starts this week, the 1st of February. Work on the footpath between its junction with Tennis Walk to its junction with Lansdowne Street will mean traffic being diverted by, via White Ladies Close and Little London or Lansdowne Street, Lansdowne Road and tennis walk. A drunk woman exploded with rage as she tried to batter her way into a neighbour's flat while the victim's two terrified children were inside. Sonia Fry called her neighbour a bee mm -mm -mm -mm, as she repeatedly kicked the door in Vestatilly Court. The 48-year-old had admitted using violence during the Boxing Day bust-up when she appeared before magistrates in Worcester. Fry was not pleased at the presence of our reporter, telling him, he's the evening news, I don't want him in here, it's a joke. Mark Hambling, prosecuted, said children were in the property at the time. The woman inside heard Fry shouting while banging on the door on a number of occasions. He added, she, the occupant, was frightened and placed herself behind the door to prevent it from, in her words, being breached. At one stage, she also put a chair behind the door. She had two children in the flat at the time, whilst the matter is going on, said Mr Humbling. Fry was arrested along with three others. In interview, Fry told officers she was frustrated due, due to her, an ongoing dispute with her neighbour. She had consumed alcohol in the evening and, in her own words, must have exploded. She said she didn't really care about her actions and stated she wanted to confront the injured party to tell her to keep out of her business. At the end of the interview, she stated she did feel sorry, but realised that the other party probably would not accept her apology. At one point, the defendant interrupted the prosecutor and shouted, It's so much lies! A man at the back of court told Fry, Stop it, please! Barry Newton, defending, said, She didn't know any children were present. She's adamant about that. He said there had been conflicting accounts by all parties and that his client was frustrated nobody else except her had been brought to court. Magistrates gave her a conditional discharge for 12 months and ordered her to pay a contribution to costs of £50 and victim surcharge of £22. 
And organisations supporting victims of rape and sexual abuse is reminding people they are still open during the pandemic. During the first lockdown, the Glade Sexual Assault Referral Centre in Bransford saw fewer people access their service for either forensic medical examination or emotional support. While sexual violence outside of the home may have decreased as social venues are closed, some people will still be experiencing abuse at home where the opportunities to report abuse or call the centre as a self-referral are severely diminished. Manager Hannah Taylor said, We want people to know they can still contact us confidentially to access support. And the number is 0808-178-2058 or email info, I-N-F-O, at theglade.org.uk. A little bit more about the virus. Um, the city's uh, coronavirus infection rate was dropped by almost half in a week, according to the latest figures. The infection rate was 350.7 cases per 100,000 people in the week up to January 27th, with a total of 355 cases recorded in the week. This was a drop of 42% on the previous week's figures and the lowest the infection rate has been in Worcester since December the 29th. The highest infection rate in Worcester was in Ronxwood and Nunnery Wood at 488.5 cases per 100,000 in the week up to January 27th. So although rates are coming down, we still need to be very careful. Jury trials switching to a wartime reduced number from 12 to 7 have been proposed as a way to help deal with the court's backlog. But Worcester's MP has said he understood it was not a measure the Department of Justice was currently considering. All four of Her Majesty's Justice Chief Inspectors recently united to express grave concerns about the potential long-term impact of the backlog, which has soared to 53,000 cases nationally during the pandemic, while charities have expressed concerns for victims waiting for justice. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, I had a meeting with the judiciary where they went through some of the options they were looking at, such as super courts. Reducing the size of juries was not one of those being looked at, and it is not being looked at at the moment that I'm aware of. I know the Department of Justice is really keen to get the courts moving more quickly and that we do address some of the backlog. It is important jury trials are enabled to happen. We recently reported high-profile cases at Worcester Crown Court, including murder and rape trials, had been among the casualties of the pandemic. Among the cases delayed has been the murder trial of Martin Sabiri, 53, which was delayed until February this year because of the pandemic. 
Zabiri is accused of the murder of a transgender woman, 51-year-old Amy Griffiths, said to have taken place in a flat at Chelverton Court, Droitwich, between January 11th and January 14th, 2019. And some cases, like that of Worcester's Tim Bird, were delayed because defendants themselves said they were self-isolating due to developing COVID-19 symptoms. The 27-year-old admitted two counts of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm in Worcester against his ex, and was jailed for three years. He missed the initial sentencing hearing because of reporting symptoms. A virtual meeting held to give Droitwich residents the chance to have their say on plans for the Raven Hotel was actually held on the evening of Monday the 1st of February. The Worcester News reported earlier uh, in the month that if the plans were given the go-ahead, the listed Raven Hotel in Droitwich would be partly demolished to make way for 51 new homes, preserving the long-term future of the building. The central part of the St Andrews Road Hotel, which is Grade 2 listed and dates back to the late 16th century, will be kept as well as, as some of the later buildings. The plan is to build up to 51 homes, including a mix of flats, terraced, detached and semi-detached homes, as well as space for a bar and restaurant, which was backed by the council in 2018. The closed hotel has fallen into a shocking state of disrepair and pictures emerged on social media late last year showing the extent of the damage. At the latest meeting of Droitwich Town Council, Councillor Alex Stinton said town councillors had come under unfair criticism over the Raven Hotel, so this meeting was very timely indeed. In an ideal world, we would have been having a public meeting. But you can call 01905-774-258 to express any opinion. Former County Councillor Peter Pinfield has reportedly died from COVID-19 less than three months after warning against lifting lockdown restrictions for Christmas. Mr Pinfield's death on Friday, January the 29th, at the age of 73, has come as a shock to many, with the cause reported via Mid Worcestershire Labour's Twitter page. The post read, It is with enormous sadness that we must announce the death from Covid of one of our longest standing and most active members, Peter Pinfield. Peter has been a community leader in Droitwich and Worcestershire for many years and will be much missed. Mr Pinfield had chaired Health Watch, Worcestershire's independent watchdog for all health and social care services, and in November questioned the wisdom of allowing extra households to mix over the festive period. I'm not sure if opening up the country for four or five days over Christmas is the right thing to do, he had said. There should be something, but if we do it too long, we will just find ourselves locked down even longer in January. Lockdown this time of year is tough for anyone and their mental health suffers, and I have sympathy for those who want a Christmas with families. 
But if it's five days, the penalty we pay for that in virus transmission is just not worth it. The wave of tributes has continued since with the High Sheriff of Worcestershire, Mark Jackson, and former Droitwich Mayor Eve Freer publicly offering their condolences. Mr Jackson said, It was my privilege to know and work with Peter Pinfield for many years in his capacity as a councillor and chairman of Worcestershire Health Watch, a dedicated, informed, enthusiastic and very nice public servant. And now a little bit of sports news. Worcester Warriors fought back from an early 14-0 deficit to earn a richly deserved losing bonus point at home against the lacklustre Exeter Chiefs at six ways. The visitors scored two tries in the opening quarter to open up a healthy lead before an Ollie Morris try and Duncan Weir penalty reduced the deficit to four points at half-time. Ollie Devoto crossed for Exeter's third try shortly after the break before Weir scored a try of his own to keep the hosts within a score. The reigning Premiership and European champions were made to work hard for their win, but do cut the gap to Gallagher Premiership leaders Bristol to five points, whilst Worcester remain in 11th. Exeter piled on the pressure early doors, and after a series of penalties against the hosts and seeing hooker Niall Annett sent to the bin, Chiefs scored two tries through Johnny Gray and Ian Whitten to take control. Worcester fought back well, and after Billy Searle was carried off with a leg injury on 20 minutes, Scotland's Weir came on and directed the home side, and they got themselves back in the game with Morris's try. Winger Perry Humphreys found himself in space on the right-hand side and used his feet to get around Tom O'Flaherty before a clever backdoor offload inside to Morris. Set the centre free and over the line for the score. Weir added the conversion and then a penalty to cut the lead to four points at the half-time whistle. Chiefs came out of the sheds with purpose and instantly went on the front foot and after some stern Worcester defence, Witten finally broke through and sent Devoto in for the five-pointer after a brief TMO check from referee Tom Foley. It was a hammer blow so early in the half, but a few minutes later, Devoto turned villain as his high tackle on Sam Lewis was punished with a yellow card from Foley and seemed to spark Warriors into action. The home side went to the corner and after a few phases, Weir profited from a mistake from Chiefs winger Ollie Woodburn to dot down. Woodburn tried to avoid making the ball dead in his own goal area, but instead provided an easy chance for Weir to pinch the ball and score in rather strange fashion. The soon-to-be Glasgow man converted from the touchline and now it was a four-point game again. Both sides looked nervy and there was plenty of turnover ball from both sides as the game entered the final 15 minutes. But the champions held on in the end and went back down south with the points. And a little bit more about uh, 
well, from the head, head coach. Worcester Warriors head coach Jonathan Thomas admitted his side were disappointed with Exeter defeat and the team are focused on becoming winners. Worcester fought back from 14-0 down, as we've heard. He said, we felt like we had an opportunity to win that game. I really believed we could do that and it proved with the opportunities we had. But I'm really proud of the effort of the players. We had plenty of respect for Exeter as a club and what they have achieved, but we want to create our own history over the next few years, and we thought what better day to start that than today. Unfortunately, we didn't quite get over the line. Tries from Johnny Gray and Ian Witten had the visitors up early on before Warriors fought back, as we've heard. Thomas said, I think in the past we could have imploded in this sort of game, going 14-0 down, added Thomas. The yellow card early on hurt us and we conceded the two tries. But thereafter, I thought we were pretty heroic in all aspects of the game. I am just proud that the players kept going and got back into the game and showed a lot of maturity and could have won it. There were moments to do so. Our scrum was outstanding, so there were definitely chances in there for us to benefit from. Despite being encouraged with the performance, Thomas admits the mindset needs to change into that of a winning mentality. I suppose the main feeling right now is we're disappointed. It, it could have, maybe should have been a win, really. We want to be winners, and that's what we aim to do next week at Welford Road against Leicester. I'm going to read you a piece uh, from Mayor, uh, Councillor Jo Hodges. She writes, I am now two-thirds of the way through my mayoral year and hoping that before my period in office is finished, I will have chance to meet more of you and hear about your lives and interests. So many of you in Worcester have shown extraordinary courage and kindness during the time since we went into our first lockdown 10 months ago. There have been so many stories of people helping each other and putting their own health and well-being at risk to do so. To each one of you, I want to say a personal thank you for your sacrifices and kindness. We all owe you a huge debt of gratitude. Work at the City Council continues as usual. I have attended a number of Zoom meetings in the last few days. Who would have thought that we would be running our lives like this 12 months ago? Just a word to all the mums and dads who are at homeschooling. I know how hard it is to inspire young people to want to learn and keep them interested. Teachers go through three or four years of training to do it and suddenly parents are expected to take over the reins as well as do their own work and run a home. It is difficult and you deserve our praise and thanks for all your efforts in doing this. I hope you'll have seen in the Worcester News that my first vaccination went very smoothly. I am pleased to say that I had no after effects. I feel that I am on the way to having the best protection I can from COVID 
and would urge everyone to take up the jab when it is offered. I try to keep positive by planning holidays for the future. It's good fun because I haven't set myself any limits. It certainly helps to pass a wet and cold afternoon in lockdown. Firefighters were called to a blaze in a city street in the early hours of the 28th of January. The crew rushed to Boswood Road in the St John's area of Worcester. I think it's Boswood Street, actually. Firemen entered the property and extinguished the blaze, which is thought to have started in the lounge and spread to the basement. Afterwards, they took away charred insulation and tiles to make the property safe. An inspection hole was cut in the floorboards to examine the spread of the fire and ensure the site was safe. No damage was seen by the reporter on the outside of the property and the resident did not wish to be interviewed when the reporter asked. Police are appealing for anyone with information about several men fighting in Commandry Road to get in touch. Detective Sergeant David Hall said, we received multiple calls from members of the public who saw the men armed with weapons fighting in the road at about 2.45pm. When officers arrived, the men ran off in separate directions. However, three were quickly apprehended and one man in his 20s from Worcester, a boy in his mid-teens, also from Worcester, and one boy in his late teens, were arrested for a number of offences, including a fray, drug supply and possession of offensive weapon, and taken into custody. Sahud Ali, aged 20 and from Larkhill Road, was charged with drugs supply offences and due to appear at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Monday the 1st of February. The two boys that were arrested have been bailed to return to Worcester Police Station. We are keen to hear from anyone passing the incident who may have dash cam footage or mobile phone footage, which we believe can help with our ongoing investigation. They're requesting contact on 101 or reported anonymously through the Tell Us About section of the website, quoting incident number 00343I of January 27th, which is when the, uh, the incident happened. If you have information but don't feel comfortable speaking to police, you can speak to the independent charity Crime Stoppers, which is 0800 treble 5 treble 1, which is anonymous. And that was the last of the news items. And I'm going to close this week with the thought for the week, which is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 31, verses 19 to 21. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, 
for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. So it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off this week. Hope you have a good week and to thank John Plush and Carol Hartle and her team once again. And to remind you, the obituaries will follow the music. Bye-bye. Funerals are at the moment restricted to numbers and generally by invitation only. So I'm going to read the deaths as they come up. So John Edward Sr., John Edward Keat, passed away on the 9th of January. Um, He worked at RRE in Malvern, was a former apprentice trainer and local branch union representative, so will probably be known by many. His funeral will have taken place on the 3rd of February. Um, Funeral directors are Crumps in Droitwich. Janet Hyatt passed away January the 18th. Her funeral service will have taken place on the 4th of February. Donations, if wished, in her memory can be sent directly to Dementia UK, 7th floor, 1 Aldgate, London, EC3N1RE. For inquiries to co-op funeral care, 01905. Bridget Mary Davis, nay Fox, passed away on the 9th of January. Her funeral will have taken place on the 4th of February. Uh, Donations for Worcestershire Animal Rescue Shelter can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, telephone 01905 74 8811. Eleanor Louth passed away January 15th. Funeral service will have taken place on February the 5th. Donations for Cancer Research UK can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. George Hepplethwaite passed away, Fernal House Care Home, 17th of January. His funeral will have taken place on February the 5th. Donations, if desired, can be sent to the Alzheimer's Society, uh, to the fundraising team of, at Scott Lodge, Scott Road, Plymouth, PL2 3DU, with inquiries to co-op funeral care details as before. Roy Fawkes passed away January the 8th and his cremation is on February the 8th. There's no further detail there. Charlie Hodges passed away January the 9th. Funeral service will be on the 8th of February. For those wishing to pay their last respects, the Cortege will leave Charlie's home at 11.45am and travel via Brantsford Road, turning left into St John's, passing the entrance to Pals Row, where Charlie owned and ran 
Malvern Road Motors for over 30 years. And that is one way people are able to pay their respects if they are not invited to a funeral service. Uh, donations will go towards the work of Worcester Stroke Group, payable to the Stroke Association, sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, details as before. May Edith Smetham Jones, nay Phillips, passed away on January the 16th. Her funeral service will be on the 11th of February. Donations to Malvern Air Ambulance, Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, which is 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, and the phone number as before. Rex Montgomery passed away on the 17th of January. His funeral will be uh, on the 6th of February with donations to the Royal British Legion and Cancer Research, but there is no detail of the funeral director. Lily Holt passed away the 25th of January. Funeral service will be on the 15th of February. Donations for the Stroke Association can be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Details as before. Paul J. Hudson passed away January the 15th. Uh, funeral service will be on February the 16th. Uh, donations for St. Richard's Hospice can be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors at 41 St. Nicholas Street, Worcester. WR11UA. Dorothy, known as Polly Munn, passed away the 20th of January. Funeral service will be on the 17th of February with donations uh, for St Richard's Hospice or Cancer Research um, directly to the charities. And finally, Thelma Jean Curtis passed away January 21st. Uh, no date for uh, funeral service. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Uh, our thoughts and prayers do go out to all of those who have lost loved ones recently for whatever reason. <laughs> 